certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. December 22nd, 2016. The tactical response group stormed a Perth home and took Bradley Robert Edwards into custody. Along with dozens of police, grew a huge media presence. But little did they know what was about to unfold. It's taken 20 years, but police believe they've finally caught the Claremont serial killer. Welcome to this bonus episode of Claremont in Conversation. Natalie Bongiolo and Tim Clark with you. Also joining us, two people who were there that day, veteran Channel 7 cameraman Ray Raab and photographer with the West Australian Justin Benson-Cooper. Now, Ray, you were dispatched to a house in Kewdale. What did you know about what was going on at that time? Oh, we just knew there was a huge police presence. And uh, we got there, the road was blocked off, saw lots of police activity, um, but what was unusual about the whole thing is you try to read body language, you know, from the cops. You want to know what it's all about. And uh, they gave nothing away. It was as quiet as it could be. And I remember talking to the opposition who actually had a shot of him being brought out. They had the guy. Um, they were asking us, do you know what it's about? Can you give us any info? And it was like no one would say a word. It was very unusual. And I imagine the journalists and, and yourself as the camera operator, you're asking questions, you're, you're speaking to the police. What exactly are they saying? Nothing. They're just tight-lipped. I don't know how the, plot, how the cops did it. They have the biggest fish. They've just caught the biggest fish in our history here. Being able to not say a thing, not give anything away by body language. I mean, I would have been jumping up and down. I wouldn't have been able to contain myself, you know. And you'd ring police media up to see, see whether you could get something out of them and nothing. And it wasn't until I got back to the station that it all sort of came together. And yeah, and I imagine while you were out there that, you know, you're getting calls from the chief of staff, you're getting calls from the news director, and they're saying, what's going on? I know, and, uh, and that was the frustrating <laughs> part about it. Like, we all wanted to know. At first, you know, you think, oh, it's just another drug raid, you know, like you've done a few of those over the years. But just something was really different about this. It was, it was the body language of the police. They, you could see there was probably a certain amount of excitement. I don't know how they were able to hold it back. I mean, I would have been high-fiving, you know, like it was, a, it was a big fish. And now you've been around the block a bit. How many years have you been a cameraman? Oh, now. <laughs> Actually, just last week it was 48 years. 48 years. Yeah. So this to you, though felt very different to anything else yeah you just you know when you get the vibe it's kind mm -hmm. of we work a lot off how people react and you look at body language you look at what happens in the neighborhood no one could tell us anything the neighbors couldn't give us anything and you know journos are asking questions camera crews are sort of wondering what's going on we knew that the opposition had a shot we knew they had a someone coming out that was arrested but the funny thing was they were asking us, do you know anything about it? And I go, mate, no. <laughs> so everyone knew that something big was going on. Um, the, the station down the road, they 
knew that they had a shot of someone. However, they had no idea of the significance. So as the day unfolded, this is what Channel 7 News was reporting by 6pm that night. Good evening. As we go to air, there's a major crime scene in place at a house in Kewdale. Jamie Freestone is there. The house has been cordoned off all day, but police aren't revealing what they are looking for other than to say what they're doing is related to an ongoing investigation. Neighbours say they saw officers from the heavily armed tactical response group descend on the house about 7 o'clock this morning. It's about half past six and I heard a, a real loud yell and then it sounded like a scream and uh, I didn't think all that much about it. Came out oh, about an hour later and uh, there was a lot of police cars. Been neighbours with them for so long and we've been, they've always kept themselves but it's quite shocking. So 6pm that night, still no one really knows what is going on. Justin, you were rostered on that day as well. At what point did you find out what this was all about? Um, look, I just came off shift and maybe a couple of hours after the shift um, I got a call from my picket and he said, look, we think this is it. There's a, you know, the cops have got someone and we think this is the Clermont serial killer. And so we're going to roster photographers around the clock. So someone was rostered on till midnight. So I got midnight to 8am. And I remember as I pulled up, um, you know, it's, it was literally just us. And, you know, the opposition wasn't there. It was us and seven. Sunrise was there as well. Um, I guess they wanted to do a live cross if if the guy came out and, and we got the exclusive. Um, but there was a lot of waiting around, you know, and we, we had no idea what, what, what was going to happen. And it was just, what's going to happen? What's, gonna, yeah. what's going on here? And where were you waiting? So where had you been sent to and where were you all waiting? It was the back of the Hatch Building, which is on Stirling Street. And that's where the detectives do a lot of their sort of um, questioning of suspects. And um, it, it was just a just a quiet street, and you know you you watch people walk past, and you know just sort of after a big night out, and that, it was actually quite entertaining. I remember we were just <laughs> hanging out, and having a good old chat, and just being really entertained. It was it was great fun. <laughs> and so, um, tell us about what happened in that eight-hour shift. You were rostered from twelve till eight a.m. Did someone come out? What did you see? Um, they did eventually come out um, at 4am, um, but leading up to that, I remember um, there was a lot of, obviously, we've only got one shot at this, you know, they're not going to bring him back for a, for a second run. So I remember, you know, it was obviously I've got um, the stills camera with the flash and the, the, the TV guys have got the light. So we want to make sure that we both get the shot. So I remember we were doing tests on the, you know, sort of through their, through their um, news, news van you know, to um, to make sure that, you know, because a lot of it's sort of you're flying blind. You don't actually know, you know, um, you know where where um, Br- um, Bradley Edwards is, is in the car or whoever it was, was in the car. Is he on the other side of the vehicle? Is he close to you? So you don't know how much flash you need to give it to get through the... So we were all testing, we were all testing our gear and, um, you know, what sort of settings to get the perfect shot. So that was, you know... We're just having a chat. Who is this guy? Who have they got? When are they going to come out? And we're sort of occasionally a cop would come out, and we're sort of you know we're trying to get their mannerisms. Like what's <laughs> what's going on here? You know, is it, are they giving you anything away? Um, and eventually, yeah, we did get a okay, guys. Uh, within the hour, um, we'll be coming out. 
and we did make a request of of them. C- could you go uh, uh, real slow, guys, just to give us the best chance here of, of getting the shot? And they're like, yeah, no worries. And so sure enough, they came out nice and slow. So we were literally able to walk um, with the car until it got well on the road and then it sped off. But it was plenty of time for our shots. And Ray, were you there at this point as well? No, because what had happened was is I stayed there. My brief was to be relieved by the early crew, which is a 2 o'clock start. So 2 a.m. in the morning, I was going to pull out and go. But, like, I didn't want to pull out, to tell you the truth, because, you know, I go way back in this story, like, um, you know, when it all first started. Yeah. You know, spending nights up at Claremont and all that sort of stuff and wondering who it is and what it is. And so the excitement was there, you know, and I wanted to sort of... I, I stayed there pretty close till 4 o'clock. Yeah. And I literally just pulled out... And Luke, who took over from me, said, mate, he's about to come out. And I knew that they were going to take him to the police lockup. So I said, look, I'll shoot to the lockup. I'll get him as he... I'll get, we'll get two bites of the cherry here. Because one of the things that Justin just said is, you only get one crack at this. And you'll never see this guy again, possibly. You know, if it is him. Um, so you've got to make the most of it. So I thought, look, I'll get another shot as he's going up the ramp. And sure enough, you know... A few seconds later, the car comes up the ramp and bang, you've got it. And it's the roller door that usually gives it away. As soon as I saw the roller door go up, I knew it was uh, payday. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, I mean, we've seen that picture many, many times, but can you just describe it to us, what you saw through the camera lens? Uh, I kind of knew roughly where he would be seated in the car because um, we've got a fair idea where it where they tend to put people and he would obviously be covered up so you kind of sort of got to reckon with try to get as close as you can to the actual uh, window and it was very quick because the roller doors it was all prepped the roller doors went up I knew the car wasn't going to slow down too much so you literally as soon as you see the car you're rolling you press the button and you get up as close as you can to the to the window and just keep shooting as they go up the ramp and then uh, take a breath. Yeah. <laughs> and then Have a you... look back and see if you got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And then you obviously call back to the newsroom and say, yeah, we've no, got a I shot. No, I call Luke because I think the newsroom was still asleep, mate. It was like <laughs> four o'clock in the morning. But I uh, called Luke and, uh, you know, we sort of exchanged. He told me what he got and I told him what we had. And, you know, it was one of those things. I was actually quite surprised that... Um, the opposition wasn't there because I thought, you know, being such a big story. Um, anyway, it worked out well for yeah. us. And Justin, we um, also see the photograph that you've taken. We've seen that many, many times. And, and all the footage that we see, we hear that camera clicking and that shutter going. Can you describe that moment, you know, I guess what it feels like when you get that shot and, and what it looked like to you through the lens? Yeah, well, um, as Ravi was saying, you know, you you just you don't know you've got the shot until until after, you know, the car's sped off. So you sort of go back through your shots, and and of course you need that flash to go through the through the window um, to to see to so you can see the guy, and of course if if the flash is higher than the glass, of course it's not going to pierce through the glass. So there's plenty of shots in in that burst that I got where it's just black. And so, you know, when you look through the shots, you can actually see something like, wow, this is <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah, um, look, I was just, 
I was pumped. I mean, if you know, if if, if I would have missed the shot, um, the boss isn't going to be happy. No. Um, <laughs> and I remember calling the wire picks desk because of course, of course, they get on at six. Um, did you get the shots? So yeah, oh my God, of course we got the shots. Wow, it must work. But so, I yeah. bet you must have been holding your breath as you were looking back through the shots. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, this is, as Ray was saying, you, you can't recreate this, you know, and this is a huge moment in history, um, yep. as we know now. Um, I mean, obviously, we knew it was him. Unfortunately, he was covered up in a, I think it was a jacket from memory. Yeah. Which, Over the which, head, yeah. Which obviously isn't ideal, but we know who's underneath it, and you can you can see by sort of the, um, I guess, the broad arms um, and the, the broad shoulders that it, that it was um, Bradley Edwards in the back of that car. Yeah. So... Yeah, but take a breath, and um, I think I, think I actually shouted myself um, Macca's breakfast after that <laughs> as, a, as a reward. So I, th- I think it was a lot harder for you because you were on your own. Yeah, true. You know, yeah. we had a couple mm. of crews there, so at least mm. one of us would have got a half decent shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But being on your own, mm. but uh, yeah. So moving forward from four a.m., it's the next morning. It's December the twenty-third, and Carlo Callahan, who was the the police commissioner at the time, holds the most important press conference of his career. Now, Tim, you were there for that. Can you talk us through what that time was like when you're sitting there waiting for the commissioner to speak? Mm, um, tense, tense. Um, I haven't been doing it quite as long as Rabsy, but I've been <laughs> doing it a fair while. And uh, Ray's exactly right. You know when it's you, you know when it's a big story and then you know when it's a massive story and th- this was bigger than massive i mean the and it had built up over the evening so we i personally got a call from our news desk about i'd actually left the office about half past five i was i made it home perth traffic was <laughs> kind that day for once um and i got a call from our news desk and, and uh, it was it, it was it was a call that I'd never taken before because our chief of staff at the time was a really calm, really um, together type of character. So you'd need to be in that role because you've got a million balls in the air. But even um, Spence was I could tell something was going on by the tone of his voice and the way he was talking to me. Um, and he said, "Yes, well, this is what we think's happening. Um, we've we've changing complete front page. We don't need you to come back, but we need you to do this, this, and this." And that included getting ready to go to a press conference in the morning and then going straight to court after that. Um, and so that's what I did. Um, I didn't get much sleep, I've got to say, just thinking about what it could all mean and you know whether it was whether what we thought was happening was happening, but we didn't actually get the confirmation officially uh, until um, Carlo Callahan stood up in that press conference. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just it was just one of those moments that you, you just look around and at all the other journalists, very senior journalists, and they all know uh, the, the 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 magnitude of what's about to happen. And then when Carl actually started to talk and and say the words, um, Macro and Kira Glennon and Sarah Spears, although they, they didn't charge Sarah at that time, but she was mentioned in the press conference, and of course, Jane Rimmer. Um, you, you know, you just knew it was going to be a huge day, and as it's turned out for 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 a lot of us, including me, it's been a huge three and a half years. Yeah. Okay, so we've got some audio from that press conference. This has already been the biggest and most complex police investigation in WA history. Hundreds of police officers have worked on this case over the past twenty years. Operation Macro has been a massive body of work involving thousands and thousands of investigative actions. The commitment of the WA Police and its officers have never wavered. 
we never give up. I just remember it being very tense and then the, the your role takes over, as Rabs and Justin have just said, you, you, you get lost in what you have to do, um, not what you, you, know, you, you think you must do. You just, you, you just almost go into autopilot, so you, you're immediately on the phone to the desk, then you're filing for online, making sure the quotes are right, getting it quickly so it can get up. And then we had to make the dash down to St. George's Terrace to the, to the court um, for 10 a.m., um, for that hearing, um, and everyone in the court knew why we were there. Um, uh, the security guards were particularly sort of noticing what you were doing and what you were bringing in, checking bags, you know, maybe maybe a little bit harder than they usually do. Um, and then it was a very small courtroom. It's courtroom 42 um, in the magistrate's court, which is the overnight arrest court. Um, and I'm pretty sure they'd never that court has never seen anything like quite like that because it was um it was absolutely packed i mean you can only probably sit about 30 or 40 in there anyway and it was full with police lawyers media um, I, I mean anyone who really wanted to get there get in had to be there quite early um, as we tried to be um and then we just sat and just waited um for the uh for the case to be called, um, which was a while actually, because Mr. Edwards was given grant or g had access to a lawyer, obviously, as he was entitled to do, and he, and he had a very senior lawyer actually turned up um, to help him that morning. He spent quite a bit of time in the cells with him, just presumably explaining exactly what the process was going to be, um, and uh, yeah, and there were a few sort of um, yeah, a few bitten fingernails and a few sort of chewed pens in that <laughs> sort of 25 minutes as we were waiting for him to be brought up from uh, from from the custody. And you, you've mentioned that, you know, you really do go on to autopilot and you don't have time to sit there and be stunned or gobsmacked or digest this information. You're just trying to get this information out there. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, Ray and Justin will attest to this. You, you sometimes have days like this when it's a big story. You just, you don't really have time to think as it's happening. I mean, me and Ray attended an incident up in Kalgoorlie um, a few years ago, which was exactly like that. It was going to be a protest, which turned into a riot, which turned into a major, major incident. I remember that day. Um, there were only a few moments that day that you could just actually sort of comprehend and think or process what was happening. The rest of the time, you're just doing, doing your job. And, and and that day um, was was like the day of Mr. Edwards. His first appearance was like that too, because there's so much to think about in terms of just professionally what you need to do, instructions you're getting from from various sources. Um, you're being asked questions. You, you you're trying to answer, but maybe you don't have all the information that you'd like. And macro has always been like that. Macro has always been a case of, as we've heard so many people say in the podcast so far, it's been a case of trying to chisel out those tiny little nuggets of information over the years and over the years. And then it all came in one slew, it seemed, Carla uh, described what the charges were, what, and, and there were other charges on top that we now know a lot about, but at the time we didn't know hardly anything about the, the rape at Karakata and Huntingdale. Um, and then, yeah, and then you just you just write and talk and uh, and and ask as many questions as you can and try and you know pin it down as much as you can. So, Tim, you've gone from this very tense mm. press conference, and then you've literally had to run to court mm. to get for the start of court, um, in the hope that you would make it in time to see the entrance of um, Bradley Edwards. 
Can you tell us what that moment was like when he enters the courtroom? Yeah, well, as I say, it was it had been tense already. Uh, then it was a dash. Then it was a waiting time. Because he'd been around the... Well, the more senior journalists had been around the court for a little while. You sort of knew what was uh, going on. Uh, there were a lot of media there, senior and, and more junior. Some of them were just sort of looking around, sort of what is going on. But when I saw Mr... Van Dongen, Sam Van Dongen, who's a very senior barrister in Perth, one of the best, um, walking into court and then out again. I thought, oh, well, that, that's that, there's only one reason why he's here. So as soon as Sam comes back, we know we're ready. And, and the clock started ticking. And you're, you're texting, you're emailing the news desk, you're talking to each other, you're wondering what's going on, you're speculating about, you know, what will happen. Um, and, then, and then as... As, as quickly as you got there, he was up, and um, uh, the, the, in 42, because it's a custody suite, it's behind glass. It, it's it, it's basically a glass cage um, with a secure door. Obviously, there were a lot of security around Mr. Edwards on that day, but he stood up. Um, he was asked um, his name, and then um, and then the process began. So, do you remember what he what he looked like? I didn't. I, I didn't know what I really expected because I'd seen the footage from from your footage and, and Justin's pictures from overnight, but you couldn't really see much. I'd seen the footage that the opposition had got, but didn't realise what they got. And again, the, the, there was a hood and there was a, some some stubble. But then when he was there, um, you, you're straining to look. It's quite a dim, sort of lit, dimly lit room behind glass. Lots of people there. Um, but he just looked entirely normal, just uh, just a normal... Like your neighbour. Exactly like your neighbour. Um, and that's what the neighbours actually told Jamie that he was. He was, a, he was their neighbour. And um, uh, he was dressed in the same clothes, obviously, because he'd been... Um, so we now know what had happened was after he, uh, after he was taken from the house where um, the opposition got him, he was taken straight to cold case where he was... They had immediate DNA taken from him um, as soon as he arrived then they um, waited for that DNA to be processed before they formally charged him and that was about 20 minutes before you and Justin saw him arrive so they charged him in the morning that, that very early morning and in between we think that's when they did their interview the six and a half hour interview that we're going to see um, in a few weeks in court and then he was taken lock, uh, watch house processed um, told his rights seen the, the lawyer and, and then up he came and he didn't look like like you would think a man accused of those things would look um, slightly portly slightly unshaven but otherwise just um, did, completely normal Tim did he look around did he check out who was he, in the courtroom he, he did a little bit uh, he did a little bit but there, were, there wasn't much um, uh, body language or interaction I don't think he was probably expecting anyone to be there um, but what I do remember is as he was being led away after he'd been so he wasn't read the charges but Mr Van Dongen said he certainly had been informed of them and understood them he was asked his name are you and he agreed and then um, Evan Shackleton who was the magistrate that day explained that he couldn't um, even hear a bail application because of those charges it has to go to a higher court and that was it but as he was being led away there was uh, the, there was just the slightest smile and I've watched Mr Edwards walk in and out of the dock uh, 
hundreds of times now, hundreds of times, and it, very, very often he has that same sort of just a slight smile on his on his lips um, as he as he walks out of court, um, and that was and that was that, and for something that so many people had waited so long for, it was over in a flash that day. Um, but then you go back into autopilot because the paper wants a lot of content uh, from that small appearance. But now, obviously, I wasn't the only one working on this story. Half the newsroom were walking, working on this story um, but on that day, including two colleagues um, who aren't, aren't at the paper anymore. But um, um, I trusted implicitly, and they actually got the story. They spent that day firming up the story about the kimono which no one had written before but through their sources at major crime they were an, uh, able then the following day in the west australian to break the story about basically how the arrest had come come about um, including the importance of that kimono that we that we now know so much about yeah i mean it was extraordinary because like we've said before that we had zero information and then we just had an avalanche mm. and we could barely believe the information that we were hearing ray you mentioned that you you know felt quite a strong connection and didn't want to leave um or miss a shot because you had been covering this investigation since it began in the 90s um it, to me it was the final piece in a jigsaw puzzle yeah. we had everything you know we knew uh, like we knew a fair bit we just didn't know who it was yeah we had suspicions. We had uh, people under the on the radar. Um, Lance, to mention a few. I remember I shot the interview with Alison Fan with Lance in his um, apartment. And we've talked a lot about that interview in this podcast, <laughs> and and how long Alison and yourself were in Lance's house, and, then and I to left the point. By herself, you know, and she never forgave me for that. <laughs> but, uh, well, he wouldn't stop talking. Yeah, he, he first was, he was quite reluctant, but yeah. I, now, when I look back, I actually feel really sorry for him, you know. Mm. But uh, the other thing that for me, you know, spending nights up at Claremont and around Bayview Terrace and filming taxis and police doing this doing their stuff up there and then um, being in a helicopter flying up north to Pippadini Road where Kira Glennon was found the body was found and again we didn't know what it was at first we knew that something big's happened, a body had been found so you know I got up in the chopper and I started doing laps around filming the police below and all that sort of stuff and then we landed on uh, the road because it was a cul-de-sac and I remember walking up to the scene and the police said, oh, look, can you give us a few minutes and uh, we'll let you get some pictures. And sure enough, you know, it was a gravesite. It was very close to the road, which was actually quite surprising, you know. But, um, yeah, when that happened, and then, you know, you see the final moment. You know, it's alleged at the moment that he is the man, but, yeah, there's a certain amount of excitement in the air when you yeah. see that unfold. And I guess for yourself, you know, you have personally um, been touched through your work to this um, story. And really, as we've talked about in the podcast, m so many people in Perth feel like they have a connection and everybody wants to see this through to the end um, and have a conclusion one way or the other. Oh, look, you know, I feel for the parents. I don't think you'll ever get closure. There's no such thing as closure. But you're getting answers to your questions 
you can never turn the clock back. But uh, uh, for me, it's about the parents. Uh, mm. I just, you know, they've got something. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much um, for that. I think for people, it's a really fascinating insight into how it works because it's the sort of thing that most people wouldn't hear about, how the media go about um, a, a massive event like this and getting the information out to the public. So thank you very much to the three of you for stepping us through that. Now, Tim, um, we obviously didn't have a court day to day. Do you know what will be happening tomorrow? Uh, yeah, we've got a, a fair idea. Um so Mr McDonald, who's the Salmark stroke Pathwest stroke FSS forensic scientist, um, he'll be coming uh, back onto the stand um, and he will get uh, cross-examined by Mr Jovic in the morning um, on all the work he did on Kira's fingernails or work he oversaw on Kira's fingernails in the UK um, and other stuff, um, obviously other Claremont exhibits that were taken to the UK in 2017 and 2018. Um, and we anticipate some of that will revolve around possible um, contamination that m may um, have happened in, in at Pathwest at an earlier stage, which Selmark then discovered. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a big day for him and a big day for Mr Edwards's uh, defence lawyer. Yeah. Well, we'll be back to chat about that tomorrow with Damien Cripps. Uh, that's day 53 of Claremont in Conversation, and we'll talk to you then. This podcast was produced by Kate Ryan and Alicia Preedy and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Audio files were provided from the archives of the Seven Network and the West Australian. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. Enjoying this podcast? If the story behind the headline matters to you, then you can count on thewest.com.au to deliver. For more on Claremont the trial, follow the live blog. Watch the nightly news updates and sign up for daily email updates at thewest.com.au. Subscribe now for just a dollar a day at thewest.com.au.